And Arnie Sherman. You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, a good Sunday morning. Welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's uh, I was uh, out in California for a few days looking at ocean and sun, and I'm revigorated and glad to be back, and I'm excited that we have Dan Carlino, our 24-year-old, newly elected member of city council, representing the U District, coming on. I love to see young people who get engaged in politics, you know. And uh, he is a, a great example of someone that's, you know, came out of the University of Montana, ran for public service commission, now got elected and began his term in January. And I'm anxious to hear what it feels like for him to uh, to be an elected official and a public servant. Well, and and few people, many people may know this, but this politics and local politics is part of your, is has been a big part of your career over the years. And so, yes. you know, this is great that we're making an introduction to him at the outset of his of his term, so we can yeah. follow him all the way. We can follow and see how he goes and how he does, and we can create a a Carlino scorecard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, back after this break, we're going to have our guest. Uh, City Councilman for Ward 3, Dan Carlino, back after this. Okay, we are back with our guest, Dan Carlino. He is the City Councilman for Ward 3 here in Missoula. Dan, how are you? Uh, doing pretty good. Uh, thanks for having me on, Scott. Always happy to talk to everybody. Well, well Dan, tell me a little bit about your, your background, because I'm fascinated with anybody that, you know, elects to get involved in serving the public in a, in a, in a council or a local government seat. Uh, is this something that you've always wanted to do or is it something that, you know, when you, you know, that you've always planned for or give us a little background on what got you here? Yeah, it's definitely not something I planned on doing. Um, I was, what kind of, what kind of got me motivated into politics is that my main passion is trying to protect our environment and outdoors. And I was an environmental studies and wildlife bio- biology major at the University of Montana here. I just graduated a couple years ago. And that led me into um, the activism world of trying to protest and, um, and you know, get involved with politics. And I was mostly trying to push some of our federal level politicians to um, to take on policies that are going to help us stop the climate crisis and policies that I think help meet everybody's basic needs and, um, and, and push for basically I've just been trying to push our politicians in the right direction for the past four or five years. And that just got me frustrated with watching um, all politicians kind of fail us on the environment. You, you join them. You figure the best way to influence is to actually join and be participatory. Right. Yeah. Get be be a voice on the inside um, of the of the political conversations as well, rather than just trying to um, get them to change from the outside, which I have had some successes with. But mostly um, most politicians are pretty stubborn and have a lot of different influences going into the decision making. So it can be hard. No, I was going to say now having done it for at least for several months, have you learned about how the process works better and have you adjusted kind of your approach to how you do things or, you know, is this, uh, like what have you learned quite honestly in the last several months? Um, yeah, I've, I've learned, uh, 
there's a lot that the city council can't do that I wish we could, but there's a definitely a lot the city council's in charge of. Um, you know, the main things are kind of making up our city budget every year and where all the um, city funds end up going towards. Um, we help make local laws and pass local uh, resolutions. Um, and we also uh, are, uh, decide like the zoning of the town um, on like what can be built where and um, things like that. So it's one of those things that you have to either go to all the council meetings and pay a lot of attention to really know what's going on or just be in the room. Um, but I'm trying to do my best to um, get it, somebody else um, another communications person hired for the city and trying to do my best with sure. staying in touch with people like in letters to the editor and on through social media and things just to, well, you're very to, active. You're, yeah. You're, you're very active in social media and that's how I'm imagining a lot of folks are familiar with you. Um, mm-hmm. Two part question. Question one is now that you've been involved is the, is the pace of, of change and the pace of progress moving slower or faster than you had envisioned? Much, much slower than I'd imagined. Um, yeah, to, to get anything passed, we have to basically vote on it and we have to have at least three or four different meetings about each, each item. It seems like because everything goes through the city staff. Um, and then eventually it'll get put onto the committee agendas. So the city councils have, um, different committees that make up the different um, sections. Like we have a land use and planning. We have a conservation uh, finance, things like that. So everything, yeah, yeah. Everything will go through the committees on Wednesdays first, and then we bring it to Monday night city council meeting. And then sometimes it'll have to be voted on like three, three or four times. So things move really slow. So are there any committees that you're more passionate about than others? Um. Yeah, I think the land use and planning committee, I, I think, is uh, super important uh, because um, it has a big impact on our environment and on um, on housing um, and deciding, like, what uh, with the zoning um, that goes through the land use and planning committee. I think it's a really big deal. Uh, I'm also uh, really excited about the parks and conservation committee because um, we deal with a lot of environmental issues there. And I'm also just trying to help make sure that parks, everybody's got access to recreation with our parks and rec. Um, but all committees are, have their, um, have fun things going on. A lot of interesting things going through. So. Absolutely. And I, I promised a second part to my first question, which was oh, yeah. one about progress too, is how about the, the communication with your constituency? How are, how active are you? And I think you mentioned something about social media, but what are the different, you know, platforms that you're speaking with them on? Are you doing door to door? Are you doing kind of like a retail approach or are you using social media? Is it all of the above? And how active is your constituency? Um, Yeah, it's all of the above. And right now, so for the past like two years, city council has pretty much just been on Zoom and online. And um, so I think that's curbed a little bit of the participation from people that would normally show up in person might not be as interested to show up on a zoom meeting, but it sounds like we're getting back in person at the end of the month here. Um, but I'd say people are pretty active and um, are really opinionated at least on like social media and talking to their friends. And a lot of people really care about Missoula and what's going on here. And I'm hoping to, I'm trying to just help share with people like how to come comment online or just, or once we're in person, trying to show people how to come comment in person. So I'm basically, I'm trying to do my best to 
bring in more public participation. And um, one of the other council members, uh, Kristen Jordan, and I are about to start um, weekly office hours, like on Mondays when people can just pop in and talk. But so far, like we get emails or phone calls like almost every day that I just try and get back to everybody that way um, to talk about the issues and things. But I'm trying to hold like weekly office hours and where are them- those at? Where would, where would you be holding those at the? Um, they're at the library actually. Yeah. We're on the okay. third part of the public library. I just have to get it added onto the city website. But the main way I've talked to people about all the issues is that we took it like door to door and we knocked um, the entire ward three um, over three times, some of the doors five times, like when we were campaigning. So I plan to take it door to door myself. Um, at least, at least one or two rounds, like during my term as well, just to check in with everybody. But, um, I personally knocked over 10,000 doors and tried to talk and talk to as many people as I possibly could. And that's how I really think I got the best sense of what, what people care about in Missoula and what's going on. And for our, for our audience, can you define Ward 3? What are the, what are the main streets that define in that, that segment, that segment of town? Yeah. Ward 3 is, um, a lot of the slant streets, uh, it's, it's uh, most of the U District and the riverfront area, and, and also anybody who lives on campus at the University of Montana. So it's from the University down to Russell Street, and then it's from the Clark Fork River over to Kent Avenue um, in the U District. So so it's kind of a big a hot zone. square. Yeah, yeah, it's a really uh, exciting um, board because we've got the university and right. we've got river and there's a lot of development and things happening in this ward too. Um, so a lot of, a lot of moving parts. Well, I'm curious. Um, you have, you know, you, I, if I'm not mistaken, you, you had actually had tried and ran for city council one other time before. Oh, I ran for a public service commission. Okay, for PSC, PSC, and that you, you you didn't make it that time. But mm-hmm. what did you learn in that process that you know helped inform when you won? You know, in this most recent election. Yeah, well, I was uh, going to the public service commission regulates Northwestern Energy, and as a somebody who cares about our climate and environment, I was often going to try and comment to them to change their energy plans. And basically the public service commission uh, has tended to vote alongside whatever Northwestern energy wants for the most part. And right now they're planning on building uh, four new gas plants in Montana and also raising everybody's energy rates along the way as well. So I was going to comment against them and I was 20 years old and had, or 21 and didn't really know much about politics at all. But just from looking at the five people on the public service commission, just one of them was falling asleep during the meeting. And a lot of them just were kind of reluctant to hear people out. So I just decided to run right then. And next, I didn't realize that my opponent was going to be raising like over a hundred thousand dollars in the primary and that you need, and that, you know, you, there's just really no way to run a big race like that without raising a bunch of money. Um, so that's one thing I learned is that uh, if you want to run for a big race in Montana, in politics, you kind of have to raise money. Um, but with the money, city- by the way, is that money raised from from you know uh, private donations or mm-hmm. or corporations or a combination of both? That's a lot of money. Yeah, um, some of it I think is PAC money, um, political action committees that people right. individuals can put money together. Um, like, but most of it is individual contributions. Um, 
but basically, so for like for city council, for example, um, yeah, I raised about like $7,000 and my opponent raised about like 16 or so thousand, but then they also got another few thousand in pack money from, um, this pack was from like the Missoula organization of realtors and the national organization of realtors. They ended up spending about 20,000 in the Missoula city council races as a pack. And, um, you can't really track who all sent money to the pack. Um, right. Exactly. Dark <laughs> money. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. it's, it's interesting. You, everybody hears about it on the national and at the state level, but now we're talking about the local city level and it's still very important. So why, yeah. so, so if you had, let's say a third of the money that your opponent had, why did you win? Like, what was it that you did differently that, that you think brought you to, uh, to win the seat? I think the main thing, um, was that people, I mean, everybody's watching Missoula change fast. The prices are rising really rapidly. Um, and, uh, I ran as, as with affordable housing as my uh, top issue. Um, because that's the most pressing issue in that Missoulians told me that they were dealing with. And I was also the only renter running out of over, a, I mean, almost two dozen candidates uh, running for local offices. I was the only renter in town running um, so, or for city council. So I think that helped as well with people just wanting a little bit of representation since half our town is renters. Um, and I think we also just got out there and, talk to, like I said, I knocked over 10,000 doors and with the help of volunteers who believed in my like more progressive message, we knocked like tw- about 20,000 doors and just getting out there and talking to everybody about the issues and hearing them out. And I, I brought forward a lot of like concrete plans, like rather than just saying like, we're going to work to stop uh, the housing crisis or working to right. protect the environment. I tried to be really specific in things that we can do to help with some of the issues I ran on. So I think people appreciated having a plan. Well, I loved, I loved your, your approach to social media and everything you did, you were recording and, and, and reporting on, you were reporting on yourself, which I think let, lent a great deal of credibility to your campaign. And at the same time, it really, you know, and truthfully, truth, truthfully speak, it felt like you were really actively out there. You're, we were just doing it as a vanity project. It's like I, you wanted to accomplish something. Yeah. And that's important. I think that came through as very authentic. Thanks. Yeah, definitely. Now, well, I, you know, your generation, why don't you furnish us with a little background on you? Like, where are you from? You know, how did you get to Missoula? And, you know, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I grew up mostly in, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, actually, where I was living like in, um, East Atlanta, uh, DeKalb County there and just kind of, and it's all just all concrete, um, no forest or mountains or anything like that, but I've always been more of a nature lover. And, uh, I had some cousins and, um, and aunts and uncles that lived in Missoula, uh, decades ago and, and and now live um over by Bozeman as well and they told me about uh Missoula and so just when I was um after I'd graduated high school and then I started just working at restaurants and things but then I was looking to get going to school and I uh, moved out here mostly for the beautiful mountains and rivers and you know everything that we love about Missoula and also just to be a, a student at a school that's got a good wildlife biology and environmental studies program so that's kind of what brought me to Missoula and just going to school here and being surrounded by like a beautiful environment for the 
first time in my life or getting to live in a beautiful environment um, really helped trigger me into activism and action to try and work to protect it. Um, yeah. But uh, Dan, you've been in town now for five, six years. Yeah. Um, what's your pitch now as a city councilor? What would you say to people about, you know, moving here and, you know, the pros and cons of Missoula and, you know, how do you represent the city, uh, you know, to outsiders as an elected official? Yeah, um, I think, you know, Missoula is clearly a really special place. Um, you know, everybody here really appreciates being surrounded by such a beautiful landscape and having our river through our town and lively community. And I mean, it's definitely something that, you know, has been discovered. Um, I think the statistic was that for every, like, one person leaving uh, Western Montana last year, seven people moved in um, and we're growing really fast. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not one to be uh, negative towards outsiders. I think it's something that Missoula needs to, um, a problem that Missoula needs to take on and realistically think about how we're going to keep this place affordable and still keep the, a good quality of life um, in Missoula and and still welcome refugees and people from across the country as well. Um, so I think, you know, I just want to let everybody know like how awesome and special Missoula is. And I think, you know, if you're moving, if you're somebody that's looking to move here, just trying to get acquainted with the culture of Western Montana and appreciate the people that have already been, been here for a while and try to figure out how we can all make it work together and, and, you know, still keep it, as special as it, as it has been. Well, Dan, here's the conundrum that you have yeah. as and every other city that I go to. I was, I just spent the 10 days in California and I went from uh, San Francisco all the way to LA and every place I stopped, it was a similar kind of conversation. Yep. Which is how, how do elected officials in a free market control affordability? Every place I've been to bar none is grappling with accelerated costs of housing, accelerated costs of construction, wages not growing as fast as, you know, cost of living. We have an inflationary, we have inflation like we haven't had in 20 years. We have a war going on that's impacted the cost of gasoline. Gas was six ninety nine a gallon in LA. Oh, yeah. You know, so people are yelling and screaming, you know, you can't blame the mayor for that. You can't blame, you know, or even the president. What, do you, what is Joe Biden going to do? He's going to, He's going to call up Exxon and Mobil and yell at them and say, lower your prices. Then right. people are going to say he's a communist, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a free market. You should be able to, you know, charge what you, you know, can charge and get away with what you can get away with. So this affordability issue is a complicated one because you need workers, mm-hmm. you know, to do, you know, to do, uh, you know, service jobs. Right. Workers can't afford $600, you know, $600,000 homes. Definitely. Um- yeah, it's definitely something that is on the forefront, I think, of all of the council's mind. And, um, you know, yeah, like when we're living in the free market, it's definitely hard to ensure that we are, are keeping everything affordable when there's always that pursuit of profit that all of our laws seem to uphold over over meeting people's basic needs. Um, but at a local government level, I mean, we got to still try and do what we can. And a couple ideas, like, for example, with housing, that the city council must take on if we want to try and keep this place affordable. Um, one, we're rezoning the entire city 
uh, or doing a code reform process uh, over the next uh, two years. That's about to start here soon. So, like, for example, in a lot of neighborhoods in Missoula, we you only have the option to build a single-family house that takes up 5,400 square feet in landscape. And um, I think we need to be able to open up all neighborhoods to allow for um, duplexes or fourplexes, for example, to help build the supply. But people are moving here rapidly still. And I think we really need um, deed-restricted, like, tra- we need to think of ways that we can take these basic needs like housing off of the free market. And um, one example is when we use our TIF funds, uh, tax increment financing funds in here in town. Um, basically, the city uses a pool of money that we have about 30, over $30 million per year for redevelopments. And when we use that, those TIF funds, then we can require things from the developers. So on city council, whenever we're using TIF funds, Towards housing projects, I think we need to request a very large portion of permanently below market rate affordable housing. And basically, that's how we can um, – that's one strategy towards um, – I can I be honest with you. Speaking, yeah. for, speaking for my wife who develops properties here and re- refurbishes <laughs> old places, she says it's very difficult to work this, with the city. The sit, one hand doesn't know what the other mm-hmm. hand's doing, and it's a there's a communication challenge. Have you heard that? And if you have, what can you do to help solve for that? Yeah, um, that definitely seems to be an issue too. Like if just to get the permitting process and get all their paperwork done it can take months and months before you can even start developing something. Um, and that's something that we're taking on in this code reform process as well to try and get rid of some of the red tape per se of like of like why it takes months and months and months and approvals and approvals to even start building. Um, I think is one thing, uh, the communication, um, is something that I think we can always work on. And I, I, I like, for example, like the big public input processes, like we did with like the downtown master plan. Um, but, uh, communication between like council members and staff, I mean, that's totally up to us how good that's going to be. Uh, we just have to keep reaching out to each other. And also removing like the single points of failure. I mean, I was amazed when she told me, well, uh, I asked about where we were with this process. I fixed the, this request, but they said he's on vacation. So no one can approve it until he gets back from vacation. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that doesn't work because of two things. One is it shouldn't work that way. It's not progress. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not uh, proactive nor is it taken into consideration how difficult it is to line up resources to actually do the work? Definitely. Yeah. There's really no time to waste. Like every month that we wait to, to go through this, all the paperwork and stuff is a month, you know, lots of more people move into Missoula in that time. So right, it's a really difficult issue. Um, and, you know, I really do believe in trying to take as much as we can out of the free market um, for basic needs like housing and, I think I see that as one way and a lot of council members and local government just see it the best way as um, build, build, build and uh, ensure that we can build as much housing in town as fast as possible. And I think that also helps and could be a part of the solution. But I think doing that without disrupting the free market in any way is not going to really solve the problem either. Um, so here, here's an interesting observation. You know, one of the things when I listen to you is you're very excited about 
being in local government. I mean, it's very yeah. hands-on, right? It yeah. affects your daily life. It affects the people living next door to you. And you're now in a, you know, you're now in a leadership position and you're relatively young. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you decide that public service was going to be your, you know, pursuit? And what did you st- study in school? And what have you learned since you graduated the University of Montana that helped prepare you for a career in public service? Um, yeah, well, I was an environmental studies major in wildlife biology at the school. And that's what got me more into just, just, you know, sitting down in the classes and realizing how bad the problem is in every possible way you could think of. And I'm just thinking of, well, we need big solutions and who's in charge of, you know, um, protecting our natural land or who's in charge of the way we're going to get our energy. And I looked at, at the politicians and I was just like, you guys just are deciding on these pipelines coming through Montana or this fracking project. And I'm just, just baffled that such big decisions that affect all of us are decided on by such a few amount of people. Um, so I would just start going to their events and raising my hand and trying to get the microphone and trying to basically, I would just spend a lot of time pressuring politicians. And then that's what made me want to run just because I could only take so much, uh, no, no, no from them. <laughs> yeah. That's so, right. Yeah. So, so everybody knows there's public information that a city council member makes only about fifteen thousand dollars a year. Yeah. So most everyone subsidized is their work on city council working somewhere else. So where yep. do you work? Yeah, I work. Uh, um, it's funded by the state. I work uh, directly with a, a family that uh, that they have a son that has different mental disabilities, um, and basically I work as like his aide. Um, so I do that part-time in city council, the other part-time, like as an aide, we'll just go like work out together, take, go shopping, uh, grocery shopping, um, go do stuff outside, just kind of enjoy Missoula. So I'm just, it's kind of just a aid job to, to help um, a couple different people with mental disabilities go throughout their daily life and just have like a good quality of life. So I've been doing that for about two years now. So you, so you now have two altruistic careers. Public yeah. service and, you know, working with uh, with people with, uh, you know, uh, uh, special needs. Mm-hmm. What's your longer term vision? Where do you see yourself five years from now, Dan? I, oh, I'm, I have no idea. Five years ago, I definitely wouldn't have guessed I'd be on city council. Um, but I, 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 my plan is long term is just to keep working on um, trying to stop the climate crisis and trying to work to um, ensure that people can get their basic needs met in the United States. And um, so I, I, I see that either, either as like working for like an organization um, that works on the issues or just um, keep checking away at politics and see what impact I can make here on city council. Sure. So, in the, in, in, you know, you just started your job, what, in, in January? Yep. Yeah. So I've been on here for about two and a half months. Right. So you're, you have a, you know, taking on city council's baptism under fire, right? You're first yeah. day you're in there. You're, yeah. you're making decisions and you're looking at cases and you're trying to, uh, you know, make informed decisions. Let me just bring one up, for example. Right. While you've been sitting there, the city uh, resolved its uh, lawsuit with the Carlisle Group, right? And, right. Uh, and it's going to pay uh, them $4.3 million, you know, you know uh, and pay debt service off every year for a number of years to pay it off. How did you feel about that settlement? I mean, the Carlisle Group is definitely one of the more evil 
investment <laughs> groups in the, in the country. Um, but I think personally, I think, um, you know, having uh, publicly owned utilities is a huge asset. Um, when there's a, a big corporation that owns our literal drinking water in town, that's a big liability um, because I think their pursuit of profit will outweigh Missoulians needs to get water in the future or outweigh the environmental um, um, infrastructure needs that the water system uh, is going to have to have. And I think internet, energy, um, water, et cetera, should be owned publicly. Um, so I was happy to help settle the long, long process of buying their own water company, but um, paying the Carlisle group millions of dollars for a settlement, obviously is not something I really wanted to vote for and support, but it was just um, basically it would have carried on longer and the city could have ended up having to pay them even more. But I'm just thankful that we own our water company and, and, um, and I'm going to try and keep the water rates as affordable as possible and not increase those any more either. You know, there's nothing more, you know, it's water and air, right? Are the yeah. <laughs> basic commodities on this planet. And, you know, as you know, recently, a number of, uh, of corporate types have said, uh, you know, water, you know, it shouldn't be free. You know, water, and we, it isn't free. We pay for, you know, right. yeah. for water. It's not free anymore. Yeah. No, it's not free anywhere. And, and, you know, the West, as you know, in the history of the West, it's checkered with huge battles between, you know, ranchers and, you know, cattlemen and sheep herders and all of that over water. Water yeah. has been has been one of the number one issues beside God that has spurred on you know battles and fights historically and co- contemporaneously around the world. There are fights in Africa, you know, all the time over, over water. water right? right? Who yeah. has access to water? So while Missoula is you know in, in a, you know a different set of circumstances, I think you're absolutely right. The public ought to own the water, and even if they have to pay something for it, it's better than letting some global conglomerate that doesn't live in Missoula, doesn't care about Missoula. Right. You know, and their, their mantra is, you know, maximizing stockholder profits, mm-hmm. not making sure that everybody has access to quality water. You know, it's, it probably was, you know, it probably was good, uh, you know, a good experience for you. Uh, to oh, see definitely. Get settled to see and, that. You know, and know that the public is controlling, uh, you know, the spigot, so to speak. Let's do a quick I let's do a quick ID. Our guest is Dan Carlino. He is the city councilman for Ward Three here in Missoula. Dan, you know, getting into politics, uh, uh, the decision to get into politics was. Did you have any mentors or or, or guidance from anyone? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think whenever I decided to run for public service commission, I just wanted to go for that one because I know that they regulate the energy grid and I saw that as a good way to, to help. Um, but no, everybody suggested I, uh, run for legislature or try and work for a nonprofit or get on a city board or something like that. Who was um, every, who was everyone? I guess, uh, people like in the activism world or if I would like knock on somebody's door that thought I was too young to run or something like that, they would just, come up with their own suggestions and things. And I just felt like running for public service commission um, was the closest matchup as I could to trying to solve a problem as big as the climate crisis. So it seemed like with a, such a huge problem, you got to try to make a big impact. And 
seemed like the right position at the time. Were you welcomed but, with open arms by our, our, our career politicians here? Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, when I was, when I was originally, oh, I, before I had ran, I was one to go call out, um, politicians for things that I didn't agree with and try and put them on the spot publicly to get them to take a side. And I would do that with anybody from like the federal level down to the local government. So I felt like I already had a bad reputation along, around some of the elected <laughs> officials, but, um, like for, um, when I was running for public service commission, I didn't have any like in, political endorsements from, um, from elected officials in Montana while my opponent had almost every democratic one. And same with when I was running for city council, I think I ended up with one, uh, public official like endorsing me opposed to like 20 that my opponent had endorsements from. So it, it seems like it really helps to have, um, all of the, all the other politicians on your side, if you're running, it kind of is like a, Didn't kind of like to a, help your opponent though. <laughs> yeah. I think it helped, helped with fundraising and maybe, but with like most people I think in town don't really care about endorsements like that. Oh, they it, just, helped. it actually helped you. In, in, yeah. <laughs> but you yeah. know, the interesting thing, Arnie, I'm curious to know this though. Do you think that has to do with the fact that people are so anti-politics? Like an endorsement is like, Wait a minute. Does something doesn't smell right here? I like this guy who is doing going it his own, right? And he's kind of blazing his own path. Well, the the issue really is if in politics is if you don't have any endorsements, you kind of eschew them. But if you got a lot of them, you thank everybody for endorsing you. If you have right. AFL CIO or if you have you know the public service workers or you know you're proud to have their support. Your yep. endorsement. Whether they can deliver all of their members is, you know, a whole a totally different question. But you had the advantage. You know, you said you were young and you whatever. But young is relative. You represent the U district and the slant streets. The average age in that district is a lot younger than some of the other areas in Missoula. Mm-hmm. So you look more like somebody who might be running for <laughs> office, you know, knocking on doors, you know, in that neighborhood than you would in some other neighborhoods in town. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about activism. I just want to bring up the point. I, you know, I did a lot of youth advocacy work in my previous uh, careers, and I was in the same building with Saul Alinsky, one of the great legendary community organizers, you know, operated in, in Chicago. And uh, he never used this term, but it was used uh, by a number of other people. You know, there's a thing called, as John Lewis, the late congressman said, good trouble. Right. right. And there are good things that happen from speaking out and taking, you know, positions. That's what, mm-hmm. you know, that's what a democratic society is all about. Not being one-sided, not waiting for the senior elders to pat you on the back and say right. it's your turn, right? It's never, it's never going to be your turn if you wait for that. Right. The yeah. classic example of that is Barack Obama. You think he, if he sat around and waited for them to, the, the senior leaders of the democratic party to ter- turn around and say, and now it's your turn, Barack, to run. You think he would ever been president of the United States? I doubt no. it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, you know, your attitude and approach about, you know, things and the luck of, at least for city council, being in a district that's probably favorably inclined to someone your age does not see age or youth as a, a hindrance, but sees it as an attribute that you're mm-hmm. young and fresh and have good young, you know, new ideas and all of that. But let me switch to something a little bit more sober for a second. 
the mayor, you know, it just came out publicly, you know, as he always does in his great candor and directness and, and talked about, uh, you know, have battle with cancer that he's now undertaken at 58. Right. What's the feeling among city council members when, when they heard that and what, how do they feel now? Uh, I mean, I definitely feel bad for Marion and I think he really does, um, you know, try to, in his mind, do what's best for the community and is working hard. And, um, so I definitely feel bad and it seems like, um, he's planning on trying to finish the whole term. Um, but yeah, pancreatic cancer is obviously tough. Um, but it sounds like, um, Gwen Jones is the city council president and she's ready to step in. Um, when I was reading the charter, it looks like that, uh, if the mayor does have to step down that, um, Gwen would probably fill it for the meantime. And then at the next general election, the voters will be able to decide. Um, so I think the city council is kind of just sad about it right now. We all had to, we all got it together uh, yesterday to test out the equipment to see if we can get back in person for city council. And we all had to talk to Marion and it was just kind of a sad moment like with anybody in your life when, you know, they've got that diagnosis. So. Right. And, and, you know, particularly for somebody like you, when, when I remember when I was your age, previous century, way back in the previous century, you know, the, the, the illness and death of people was not a common occurrence as much as, uh, as you get older, you know, and, and right. I remember the first few times I met somebody, uh, you know, or, or had a friend or a colleague who, who, uh, did pass away. It was, a, it was a disturbing and, and sobering, you know, experience because, you know, in, in uh, youth, you, you know, you believe you're going to live forever, right? I mean, uh, you're not thinking about your retirement planning right now, Dan. You're thinking, you're thinking about, you know, what kind of change agent you can be and how you can get, uh, you know, the policies that you certainly have, uh, you know, uh, you know, have learned about and, and, uh, you know, aspire to see it being implemented and changes in, you know, environmental and climate issues and the things that are important to you. You have a whole career, you know, focused on trying to do that so you don't think about you know the the, the inevitability of something like that 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 right. may happen long long time down the road it was surprising to me i mean he's you know he's a, a long-term fixture the longest tenured mayor in the city he's you know 58 years old still relatively young and you know yeah. day and age and so it was it was surprising to uh to hear about that you know scott you have some mm-hmm. family experience with pancreatic cancer and you know a, a, a bunch about it yeah, it's it's a devastating, you know, very fast-acting form of cancer, but there have been a lot of great technologies and innovations that over the last 10 years that have really helped not only uh, extend the life of somebody who has pancreatic cancer, but to turn their life back to normal and to buy them a lot of years. And I'm hoping that's what happens here because obviously, you know, John's a friend of our show and a friend of ours not just the mayor of our town and he's always been very accessible and very candid with us. And, uh, yeah. What have your interactions been like with the mayor, you know, since you kind of got into politics? Yeah. Um, well, honestly, like a few years ago, my interactions were more, um, of me just trying to get him, try to pressure him like as just a politician. And I didn't know him as a person, um, and try to pressure him to, do things that like that some people in the activism community are asking for and, um, and kind of got, I mean, he was pretty accessible, honestly, to be able to talk to. Um, but, uh, now since being on city council, um, 
he offered like all the council members uh to meet like a weekly or however often you want. So I've been doing weekly meetings with Marangan and I'll usually go in with a long list of policy ideas and just kind of run them all by him. And he seems to, we seem to be aligned on a lot of the issues. Um, and he's a pretty good source of knowledge for things. So it's been pretty good to work with him. Um, so far, I mean, we don't agree on everything, but, um, we at least get to have good dialogue and debate about issues. And I get the, genuine sense that he's, he's trying his best to, to take on all the issues. Um, right. So, yeah. It's, we've had a good working relationship the past couple months. Well, as you know, living in a community like Missoula, which has a reputation of being a liberal community by and large, but mm. there certainly are elements in this town that are not liberal. You can read, look on social media and you know yeah. that like everywhere else, there's a, there's a wide, you know, array of, uh, perspectives and beliefs about how things ought to be, you know, and a lot of yeah. armchair quarterbacking. What are the issues for our listeners, Dan, what are the issues that are coming up that you think um, the citizens of Missoula need to be paying attention to? Um, like a specific, like a broad issue, like affordable housing or like a specific policy thing that's coming a up? A specific thing that you know is coming up on the agenda that you think people ought to be paying more attention to. Yeah, I think one thing that gets a little bit underlooked is um, our tax increment financing funds, uh, TIF, um, and they're used for redevelopment. And we have about $35 million per year, roughly, for redevelopment. And, um, like, for example, like one thing, like there's a lot of positive that's come out of it and some things that I don't always agree with. Um, like one positive thing that I saw coming up is that the old like railroad um, track between Broadway and the baseball stadium. Uh, we're thinking of using a building to the side of that bridge, using the existing infrastructure to make a bicycle and pedestrian path. Mm-hmm. And I think like public infrastructure and affordable housing and things like that seem like a good use of TIF, but often um, like, for example, we've used uh, millions of do- not, well, the city council has approved like millions of dollars for, like uh redevelopment of like Stockman Bank of like the Marriott AC Hotel and things like that. And I think um it's up for debate, but I think people should just be really on the lookout of how we can use these TIF funds to help with our affordable housing crisis in Missoula and also help with infrastructure. Um but I and I'd say the number one big issue coming up in the next year and a half on city council is the code reform and rezone of the town. So typically like the city council will get a request from like a developer or from some, uh, a lot owner to rezone, um, to allow for like a new kind of business or to allow for more, uh, density or unhousing. And we're basically have the opportunity as a community to rezone the entire town within the next year and a half to help meet up with our goals. So like you can think about, what, how far do I have to drive to get to childcare or to a grocery store or to, um, why is there not like, why is there only single family housing in this neighborhood? And this neighborhood has a bunch of apartments and things like this. And I think we can use this rezone to decide as a community what we want Missoula to look like in the future, like what we want Missoula to feel like. And we can use it, this rezone, um, city reform code process to, um, to just help decide what our community is going to look like in the future. And I think it's going to be a pretty big deal and that's going to be starting here in the spring and it's going to be a long public input process. 
Well, that that would be exciting, interesting, and you know, and it is something that people ought to pay attention to. Yeah, you know, public-private partnerships in in governance, you know, have always existed. We have large corporate um, um, clients in this in in town, co- corporate citizens like the Washington Corp or the the hospital or you know, yeah. some others. But this town has a unique demographic, which is it's a university town. Mm-hmm. And the university, you know, dominates a lot of what takes place in Missoula. What kind of what kind of relationship, you know, influence, uh, pressure, uh, you know, what kind of uh, dialogue goes on between city council or even you specifically related to the university? Yeah, um, the, I haven't had too much so far, um, but one thing that's kind of a, a hot topic between the university and city council now is that. It's parking is really tough for students and faculty to find parking on campus. And there's about a thousand parking spots in the university district, which is in my ward that are residential parking permit spots. So people that live here can pay a amount of money and have a, um, and use the residential parking permit spot. And, uh, this, the student government at the university this past week, um, and also the board of regents are talking about this. They're wanting to eliminate the residential parking permit, or at least change it right. to, to give back those parking spots to the public rather than like to the residents that pay for them. And that's going to be a really controversial topic because people love their parking spot. Um, but um, I think just with things like the city street, that's a, obviously a publicly owned thing. Um, I'm from my perspective, I'm, I'm mostly just always thinking about how we can give all of the, the most benefits to to the public as a whole and not really side with private interests when I can. Um, Well, well, hey, reduce our carbon footprint by requiring more people to use mass transit and to walk and not have as many cars and parking spaces. That's definitely a big part of solving the parking issue is just let's make it easier to not need to park and drive everywhere. Arnie, yeah. they solved the parking issue in New York City by removing a ton of parking spaces and replacing them with uh, outhouses that operate as 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 yeah. restaurants, right? As restaurant extensions. They uh, when I was when I was doing work in Italy, they uh, they had so much congestion in the in the heart of the cities that the city council came up with a thing where your license plate ended on with an even number or an odd number. And so you, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you could drive in if you had an even number. Oh, right. Tuesday, and they thought they solved the problem, except that everybody with money went out and bought two license plates. Oh, wow. <laughs> they just take the license plate on their car and go in whenever they wanted to. Ingenious. Let's take well, a quick, let's take a quick break. Our guest is Dan Carlino, councilman for Ward 3 here in Missoula, back after this. Arnie, we are back with our guest, Dan Carlino. Dan, we can't stop our conversation about Missoula without talking about bears in Missoula yeah. and bear smart. So tell mm. us what's going on with that. Well, we're the home of the grizzlies here in at, in Missoula, and I think everybody's really proud of that. Um, but for the first time in many, many decades, um, uh, we're seeing grizzly bears come into town in Missoula. There's a family of – it's we've had brown bears and black bears in Missoula. Um, you know, often pretty more often than we should. Uh, but for the first time ever this past year, we've been seeing a family of grizzly bears in the North Hills over by the peace sign coming into town and being spotted more and more. And, um, basically, um, this is an issue of, um, their habitat destruction, um, bad use of like 
tr- trash and deterrents, um, uh, uh, bear attractants and things in town. Um, so Missoula, there's some uh, grizzly bear scientists in town that are trying to work alongside our city council and county commissioners to make Missoula a bear smart city, which becoming bear smart would basically mean that we need to have a educational program about what it means for us to live in bear habitat. And it also means um, enforcing some basic um, um, bear deterrent practices like using bear-proof trash cans if you live around the bear buffer zone, things like that. So it's going to be a long process that's going to take a lot of education. But ultimately, we're hoping that we can live in harmony with the bears and not end up with them not end up with the first grizzly bears coming into town in decades end up um, having to, you know, die because of coming in contact with humans. So it's something that um, I think is really important uh, to take this on before we have to kill any grizzly bears. Now's the chance um, to, to implement some policy here to make Missoula bear smart. Well, Dan, if anybody among our listeners have any I just view on this or anything else you've talked about. How do they get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, well, there, if you Google city of Missoula city council, we've got all of our emails on there and uh, my phone number as well, or on social media, you could um, type in my name, uh, Daniel Carlino. Um, and it should pop up for Missoula. And um, we also do office hours uh, with me and one other council member at the library on Mondays between three thirty and five thirty for the, um, through the spring and summer, and we'll continue doing that whenever we can. But I'm always happy to hear from anybody, so feel free to find me on social media or the city website, and we can chat. Dan, so it's a pleasure to talk with you. Continue to create good good trouble here in Missoula. We like it. Thank you. Yeah, I will I'll keep on doing it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dan. Arnie, I will see you next week. Take care, Scott. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know? I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO.